Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, uh, Easter is so, um, it's just good every day I should be remembering Easter, but yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that we stop <laughs> the year uh, and, and celebrate together uh, this day. Um, today, I, I'm just, I want to ask the question of, uh, of why it, Easter is important. And maybe it's obvious, right? Well, Jesus rose from the dead and that's good news. That's cool that he died and then didn't, wasn't dead. Um, but what's the real power that's held in believing the reality of Easter? Um, well, I, I think it's a lot connected to some of the words that Jesus used. On Good Friday, we had a service where we looked at the last seven words that Jesus spoke on the cross. And, and really the, the depth of what those said, and especially those last words of him saying, it is finished before he died. That he's finished the work that was needed, the sacrifice that was needed so that we would not have to die. Uh, his blood would be shed, so we would be forgiven. And then I'll, today I want to look at the words, he, the first words he speaks when he comes back, like when he's risen on Easter morning. Many years ago, he, he meets these faithful women and says words to them, and these words say a lot. Um, and they say a lot about fear which is a motivator for us. It, it reminds me of this, uh, this moment. I had, a, I had all these years to work at camp. If you've worked at camp, you get all these uh, amazing moments with, with kids. And there were some middle schoolers. Um, and they, they had come, a few of these kids had never been in a lake before. Um, from, from where they grew up, swimming in a lake was not a thing. Maybe a pool, but not a lake. And so we were getting on the boat to go tubing. Tubing was like the you know, the big thing. And so uh, I got to drive kids around in a boat to tube and you get them in there and they're all pumped up. They're getting their life vests on uh, and they're, everyone's on the boat and they're all excited and they're arguing who gets to go first and what tricks they're going to do and how they'll never get thrown off the tube. And there's one kid who's really nervous and he gets on the boat and he says, I can't, I'm too scared. I can't do it. Uh, and we say, you can do it, man. And everyone's like, you can do it. You can do it. No, 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 no. So he starts taking his vest off. And we say, no, no, come on, put your, your life vest on. Come out with us, you can do it. And, and, and so I sit down with him. I think maybe just a, a, a man-to-man moment. We sit down and I look at him right in his eyes. I say, you know, what's, what are you so scared of, right? It's water, you're going to float. You, he says, I'm scared of sharks. <laughs> oh, good news. There's no sharks in the lake in Iowa. I don't know if there's any sharks in the state of Iowa. And for sure in our lake, there's no sharks. Is in his mind, any big body of water, sharks. I don't want to get eaten by a shark. I said, oh, good news. So I look him in the eyes and I say, brother, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. And he says, thanks, Drew. Thanks. And so I, I say, yeah, it's one of these moments, right? Like, Drew's, Drew's done it again. So I turn around uh, and I start to fire up the boat. You know, we turn the key. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, guys, get ready. We're about to tube, right? It was just like, I, I felt like I was in a movie. And some kid goes, oh, hold on. And I turn around and the kid who I just talked to is out of the boat on the dock. His life vest is off. He's throwing it back to the boat. I said, what are you doing, man? He says, no way I'm tubing. I'm out of here. And he runs off. I thought, oh, sharks. It, that doesn't even make sense. It, 
you're not you have a life vest on. You're not gonna drown. You're we're very safe. We have a billion protocols that we have to follow to make sure you're safe. You're on a floating tube. I'll go slow. You. He said no. Too scared. Too much. And he runs off. And then I don't ever tell anyone because his story didn't end up as cool as I hoped, right? Even in the moment I look him in the eyes and say, the truth is there are not sharks in this lake. It didn't matter. The fear, right? This, he, he knew that there was going to be a, the first ever shark attack in Iowa uh, on that lake. It's, we've, we all have this, right? We have this fear that becomes a great motivator. It might be one of the greatest motivators. And I think it is the foundational root often for us of our behavior and our actions and what we move towards or don't move towards. Fear is something we're worried about this uncomfortable thing or this pain that we're going to move to. And so we maybe stay comfortable the fear makes us feel like we're going to get pulled out of what we want into something we don't want. We're, we're made even aware of our fears. People tell us, why aren't you afraid of this thing in order to sell us things? We don't want to leave our comfort or maybe this security or we're worried that it's going to be taken from us or something's going to change so we no longer get this kind of authority or approval and we find ourselves in a mode where we often fight or we flee. We, we run from things so that they don't take our comfort or security or authority or maybe the approval we have or we will, are willing to fight and hurt uh, in order to hold on to those things, right? This fear becomes this real motivator. We've see, we see this all the time. And I think this uh, the phrase of, uh, of fear being used to motivate uh, recently, we, we, I feel like we hear a lot as people say, I, I've been on social media a lot and I feel like fear, I, I'm more fearful. I'm more scared of things. Uh, I, I'm watching commercials and commercials ultimately tell you, you should be worried about this thing and we're going to help you uh, stay comfortable or secure. And so this is what I want us to think about today. What is it that we don't want to lose? What's, what are we worried about bringing us pain or maybe causing others pain? What's going to cause us to become unpopular or even hated? What fear bubbles up in you? What fear is really a root of, of lots of decisions or heartache in your own life? It's powerful. And this is why Easter is so good. I, I asked, um, uh, we have some amazing, smart uh, people in our church, and I asked uh, a few of them. Uh, all of you are, but I asked just a few of them to say, how has fear affected you? How, how does fear affect you? Because I think if we're not careful, we think fear is just like, oh, I'm scared of a shark in the water, right? I'm scared of like a, 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 a lion or a tiger or a bear, right? I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of death. I'm scared of snakes. I'm scared of war or uh, I'm scared of the future or uh, heartbreak or I'm scared I'm not going to have money. I'm just scared I'm not going to get likes or I'm going to get dislikes. Um, and I want you to hear from some people, where does, where, what does fear do? What are the effects of fear? And these are just people in our church who, who uh, have shared some great wisdom. 
things that uh, were shared to me. I just texted some friends and they said, fear has obscured the truth. Fear, I love this one, man, this hit home. Fear steals my confidence. It stops me from taking steps forward. Even steps that could be good or healthy or life-giving or God-honoring. At times, fears of what others think has kept me from being authentic or seeking help that I've needed because of this fear. Fear has creeped in to how I view myself, to how I view myself as a man, a provider. Fear has, uh, has made me feel like I'm not sufficient in providing for my family, caring for my family. It has made me feel like an imposter. I'm scared people will think I'm fake. And then therefore <laughs> become fake in order to fake that I'm not fake. Oh man, so true. Fear has been, uh, has affected me in a way uh, that causes me to worry about failure. I've seen failure uh, as a part of my identity I don't want. It causes me to be a workaholic. It often can cause people to drive themselves into the ground because their identity and their fear of not being seen as lazy. I've seen fear paralyze or freeze people so they won't attempt to do things. Fear is so tied to my sin, my anxiety, my depression. I believe so many lies from the enemy that I live constantly fearful. How true, how much the enemy wants you to be scared and not move and not take risk because you forget the Lord is with you. Fear can help, can prevent me from stepping out, trying something new, maybe even connecting to a new person. Even when I feel that God is leading me to do that, fear becomes stronger and bigger. It's really hard to battle against concerns about how I might be perceived, how a conversation might go. Fear also sneaks into my parenting, forgetting that my kids are the Lord's kids first. Like, amen. Every text I got in, I went, me too, me too, me too. It, how many things are affected by my fear that I do or don't do? How, how many things I'm, I'm not living in my identity in who Christ has made me? C.S. Lewis talks about Fear, I didn't get to text him because he doesn't text me back. But um, in his book, A Grief Observed, he talks about the, the connection between fear and grief. A little picture of him if you're curious. There's some C.S. Lewis. Clive says, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation of grief is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restless, the yawning, I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like I'm in a, a mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take in what other people say. It is also uninteresting, yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. His description of grief and how it feels like 
fear really blends that together. It, it really has, it gave me some words, this, the fray, it's sort of like an invisible blanket between me and the world. This fear does sets up this boundary, this disconnect. It sets up this worry about even connecting to other people. Fear is powerful, is used all around us. I uh, think of a moment in my life when we were looking for a new furnace and I, uh, I asked a, a person to come over to get some bids on a furnace and did not expect um, the, the, the fear, fear being used to sell me a furnace. But we looked at the furnace and the one that, that this guy offered was, was way more, way, way more than the other bids. And I said, oh, yours is um, a lot more. I, I think we'll probably go with the other people. And he said, let me tell you a story. And he walked me out to the front of our house. Um, he said, I, just between us, man to man, um, I have a good friend. And he chose to not get the best furnace he could, the best air conditioner he could. And uh, he came home one day and his wife was gone. She said, if you don't care enough about me to get the finest air conditioner and furnace, I'm out of here. And I chuckled a little bit. There's no way that <laughs> I said, oh, I, I bet there's other, there was other issues in their marriage too. But he says, oh no, I'm trying to help you out, brother trying to help your marriage out. You're going to want the best furnace. I said, great, thanks. Uh, did, not, did not buy that furnace, if you're wondering. But how wild. In that moment, he knew the power of fear. It, it, even I don't, know, I don't know if he would have said that, but he knew, oh, this could motivate this guy. He could go, whoa, I don't want to lose my marriage. It's not worth it over a furnace. <laughs> so he tried, right? Try, tried the fear tactic. Well, we get an opportunity today to look at the risen, the story of the risen Jesus in the book of Matthew. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew, he's going to talk to us about this very thing. And the first words we hear from Jesus are him addressing this root fear thing, this fear that really spreads its roots into lots of areas of our life really connects to our motivations. And he's going to tell us why Easter's power is so incredible and why those things we just talked about, the way fear is connected and, and uh, really overcomes us, this blanket that divides us, as C.S. Lewis said, why those things have been torn down. So this is from Matthew 28. This is the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus has been born. He lived his life. He just, just days before this was arrested, was, was sentenced, was crucified, and he died on a cross. He was put in a grave, in a tomb. And because of the days that it was, of the week, um, the, the women who were helping attend to him and, and friends and these men we're not able to fully, they think, maybe fully do all of the funeral things, um, all the, the incense and things they put in there. So they actually were coming back to um, do this. So they've now had a whole full day in between his death and now this day, which is Easter for us, to just sit and think. Could you imagine the fear? This person you thought was God was your Messiah, was the anointed one, the Savior, the King who had come to rescue his people, 
you're thrilled about, he's the one who's going to do it. He's going to rescue us. Hosanna, just the earlier that week you were celebrating him as king as he rolled into town on a donkey. And now he's dead. What does this mean for us? Are, are we going to be killed for knowing him? Our future now is unknown. What was I thinking? You wonder if they're, am I having like a breakdown? Am I not thinking straight? Is this per- this person went to a cross and died, and now, now what? His disciples are hiding, unsure what to do. That I mean, the fear would have been consuming, and what paralyzed all the things we just talked about times ten. Could you the feeling? And so on the Sabbath, just three days after, these women go to still care for him and his body. There, there still is a some love for him, uh, a sense of, we'd, we're not sure what's going on. Maybe, maybe moments remembering some of his words and saying there would be a resurrection. I'm not sure what's going on. I know, though, there would be great fear, great grief, a, a wave washing over them over and over. And so they go, it says, after the Sabbath at dawn, as the sun rises on the first day this week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So this is Mary Magdalene, who um, was is an outcast in their society uh, with the other Mary. They think this is Mary, uh, the mother of James and Joseph. Um, and in some of the other accounts, there were more Marys. Just like a whole group of Marys went uh, and women went, which is incredible. They went. They, it, culturally, uh, in that society, women were, were allowed to go attend to a male burial. Men weren't allowed to go to a female burial, but women were allowed to go and attend. And so they still wanted to go and finish the full uh, funeral thing or, or nothing else. Maybe just go and see him again. I, I can't imagine that because it was Sabbath, they weren't allowed to the day before. So there's this day of this break where they just had to wait, and now they're allowed to go back. And it seems like it's dawn. So as, as early as they can, they go to see him again. And now look what happens when they get there. This is wild. They come up to the tomb. They have the weight of fear, of grief, suffering, of uncertainty on them. They're walking to this tomb. You can imagine it's quiet, it's dawn, and then a violent earthquake comes. Because there's an angel of the Lord that comes from heaven going to the tomb and he rolls back the stone and he sits on it. Imagine this scene. They're walking up. The sun is rising. There's probably dew on the ground. It's quiet. And then shaking the earth that an angel appears. The stone is rolled back. I mean, this is a wild, incredible, heavenly, powerful moment. A moment that you'd have to assume that there might even be uh, uh, flashbacks for them. Moments of like just two days ago, there was an earthquake. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake and everything shook up and there was lightning and lights and it was incredible. And now again, there's another earthquake. What's going on? And this angel appears on a tomb on the stone and he rolls the stone away. It says here in verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. I mean, really just 
a few days ago, there was lightning and a storm and an earthquake and Jesus died and the temple curtain was torn and and, and his sacrifice was good. It finished all things. And now again, we're seeing the same moment of lightning and earthquake and the stone being rolled. And so in the moment, you would be overwhelmed. I would be afraid. What is going on? Haven't we had enough of this? Can we not use earthquakes to show to make entrances? And there's an angel sitting on a big rolled away stone to the entrance of the tomb. And so there actually are other people there, we learn. Not just the Marys, but guards. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Isn't that interesting wording here that Matthew uses? The guards see this happen. Earthquake, bright lights, angel, the tomb, the giant stone moved. They're right there. And this happens in front of them. And it says they shook and became like dead men. We think this means they passed out. I think it's interesting though, the phrasing, right? There's this sense of, think about the guards when Jesus was crucified, standing there mocking him, overseeing his death. And now in this moment, it's like we've reversed the tape and now there's there's lightning and an earthquake. And now those guards shake and are fearful and fall dead. I don't think, not really dead, but they pass out. The the fear is so overwhelming that it actually knocks them out. Not these women, though. I don't know if it's because they've seen this before, because their hearts are just in a different place. Maybe God has just is just doing something different in them, right? The angel says to the women, do not be afraid, for I know what you're looking for. They come, right? They're looking for Jesus. And this angel says, I know who you're looking for, Jesus, who was crucified. Not, not just any Jesus, but the one who was just crucified, right? And then these incredible words. Because as he said, I know who you're looking for, it's Jesus, the one who was crucified. Yeah, we're going to go in and care for his body. He's not here. He's risen. Just like he said he would. What? You want, in that moment, do they flash back? We, we know of at least four or five times uh, that Jesus in the gospel says, I've risen. Here's one in Matthew 20. He says, now Jesus is going to Jerusalem and on the way he took the 12 aside. He took his disciples aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. This is what happened. They will condemn him to death. That's what happened. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. That's what he was given over to the Romans. And he was mocked and he was beaten and he was crucified. And then don't forget the last thing he says here. And the third day he's going to be raised to life. He said said this a bunch of times. This is one of those amazing historical things that um, often I think could be claimed like, well, Jesus never said he was God. He didn't say he was going to raise from the dead. He says it a bunch. And the angel is reminding these women, hey, he did it. You're looking for him? He's not here. He rose, remember? He said he would. He says, come and see the place where he lays. So this is interesting too. This this is a a part of the story that I, I often don't think about. This angel rolls the stone away, and then he says, come and look. I, I think as a kid, I always thought, he rolls the stone away so that Jesus can get out. Because Jesus 
is would be stuck in there. Like he would raise from the dead and then he'd be like, oh no, I didn't calculate the stone being moved. So then he calls on the angels and they come move the stone. The God who just defeated death, who died and then rose from the grave, the person who created that stone and that tomb and that earth and everything around it. Shoot, I'm stuck in there. The angel rolls the tomb open because he wants to show off what happened. He wants the ladies to see, hey, he's not in there. If the stone was there, he'd say, he's not in there. Uh, you sure? No, 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 no. I want you to be certain of this. He's, in he's rolled the stone for them to see with their eyes the reality of resurrection. How cool is that? How cool is that? He's risen from the dead, he says, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So this angel says, now no, go tell other people he's going to see you in Galilee, the, the, his hometown, the place where he's from, where all this ministry happened. He's not here. He's there. So the women hurried away from the tomb. You hear this phrase now, afraid yet filled with joy. So there is a fear still. What is happening? This angel, this spiritual being, this connection to God, this messenger of God has said, Jesus has risen. We, we saw the tomb. It's, it's empty. He's not in there. There could be a lot of reasons maybe why he's not in there and what happened. I, this feeling of fear and joy, I, I understand. I connect with that. I am fearful. I also am joyful. It's this kind of feeling of this in-between. I love this, though. You'd still have a doubt of all the emotions over you, of everything over you. It's still hard to believe that he actually is risen. It's still hard to believe sometimes there's not sharks in an Iowa lake because it's just been on your mind. It's been in your heart. You've thought so much about it. It's still got to be true. Me, is he still dead? What is going on? But now there's this hope. So they ran to tell the other disciples. This is, this is incredible. This is a cool moment. These women got to experience this for the first time. God used these the Marys to first experience this and get to tell people. This is a cool, this does a side note. This is a really, a really cool part of the Gospels. There's other parts of the Gospels like this where uh, culturally in that time, if you were going to write a story and have people believe that story, you would have uh, certain elements in it so that they wouldn't disregard your story. And one of those would be that you would have men receiving the important news and doing the important things. And in this story, the, the authors all write about these women, which was true, that's what happened, which actually makes this people kind of disregard this story. They say, well, I, that's not okay, that's not acceptable. Women aren't seen as that important that they should have been the first. In fact, there's an old, um, uh, there's an old uh, a Greek philosopher, uh, Celsus, who actually wrote a lot of apologetics against Christianity. And he says, this story of the Gospels cannot be true. It clearly can't be true because the resurrection was originally based on the testimony of women. And he says this, are you ready? These are fighting words. And we all know that women are hysterical. Can't be true. Now, while that's his whole, that's his, one of his arguments for why the resurrection isn't true. So if it was true, then God would have had men go. 
is incredible. How cool is it that God says, no, I'm going to use women in this. And the authors, if they were going to write a fake story, they wouldn't have written women into it. It's one of the reasons actually can help us believe a story. Because God did this differently, right? He's flipping the script on things. He's doing it differently than um, we would have thought. Anyway, back to this. I, just, I love that little part. I think how, how cool is that, that God used these, um, these women to do this. All right, as we continue the story, though. So the women hurried to the tomb. They're afraid, but they're joyful. They ran, they're running to the disciples, and then he, here's this moment. This is it. Suddenly, Jesus meets them. Right? I'm not sure, is he alive? And then in front of them becomes Jesus. He says, greetings. He says, hello. It's a, the, the word there is just a normal, if you saw a friend, hey. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Why, why is this important? Interesting fact, they touched his feet. Here's what this shows. Jesus really is alive. It's not like spiritually in a sense, he's still alive in our hearts. He's alive and he's physically in the flesh alive because they held on to him. So Matthew makes sure we know Jesus shows up. They're afraid, unsure. And now they see the real Jesus in the flesh, in person. They touch his feet. And what do they do? They worship him. Out of their fear and their joy, they finally stand in front of Jesus. He says, hello, and they worship him. They fall on their feet and they worship him. It's saying he's real in the flesh. He actually rose from the dead. He actually conquered death and he is God because uh, they worship him. This word actually means like divine worship. They actually worship him as God. And then Jesus looks at them and says this amazing phrase. A phrase God has said over and over throughout all of time to his people as they are scared. He says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Do you hear this? Don't be afraid. It, it really, the phrase is just, no more fear. Don't, don't be afraid. And I think in a moment when you're sitting at Jesus' risen feet, worshiping him, and he says, it doesn't have to control you. It doesn't have to be your motivator. Don't be afraid. I, I'm here. It, it changes everything. It, it changes everything for these women and for the disciples who meet him. And then after this, for the many other people who see him, there are appearances of Jesus in the flesh to many, many people. We see seven different appearances in the Gospels of Jesus. We see Jesus throughout the book of Acts for 40 days uh, meeting countless number of people. Paul writes in his book, um, in his writings, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He writes in his at least five appearances, and at one point, 500 people have a Jesus sighting. They all see him and experience him. This isn't just these women saw him and then like later told people, they're like, eh, did you really see him? It, all, can you imagine? All these people saw him, and they got to stop living in fear. This is the good news of Easter, that we approach unsure. We're told, yeah, he's risen. It's good news. Yeah, it's good news. Easter's great. Let's get an egg hunt in. And then the day after Easter, post-Easter fear washes over. 
we have the opportunity to stand before Jesus. He says, hey, hello. And we get to worship and, and hold on to the real risen Jesus. Resurrection is real. And he says to you today, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I'm encouraged by um, the words of uh, Tim Keller in this. Uh, this is from his book, Jesus the King. He walks through the book of Mark. Uh, I encourage you to read that. that. The book is really encouraging to me. He says, the fact of resurrection of Jesus it was what makes the gospel story not merely a great experience to read, but the gospel is a life-changing power. This isn't just a cool story we read every year at Easter. This changes everything. There's power in it. Imagine for a moment someone preaching to slaves in the ancient city of Antioch and imagine him saying, ah, the resurrection is basically an inspiring story, you know? It means that somehow good is better than evil. So let's be kind to each other. Would it be possible that any of the slaves would say, well, wonderful, this message transforms my life of grinding misery and oppression into one triumphant hope? Of course not. But that's not what Paul said to the cities of the Mediterranean. He says this, they saw Jesus and they touched Jesus. He really rose from the dead. That proves that the kingdom of God is real and will triumph. If you believe, you enter his realm of power, his realm and power right now. The story of Jesus changes our lives because it's true. Friends, this, this story today, Easter, isn't just a great story of, of good overcoming evil. Or just a wild story of this guy who died and then rose. And how did that happen? It's the reality of Easter is there is power that destroys fear that controls us. And not just that. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's proclaiming the reality of his resurrection. And he says, there doesn't need to be fear over death anymore. He says there doesn't need to be fear of loneliness. It's been swallowed up by God who stands with us. He says there doesn't need to be fear of being unloved. You can't be unlovable. I've destroyed that possibility in my resurrection. I've stepped down from heaven because of my great love for you. I've died on a cross because of my love for you. So in the fear of being unlovable and lonely washes over you, you can say, Stop. You don't, you don't get to be here. The power of the gospel is greater when the fear of pain washes over us or the fear of being put in our graves. We get the opportunity to say, no, death, you've been put in your grave. When the fear of discomfort washes over me and I worry about momentary physical comfort, the gospel and the power of the resurrection tells me there is eternal pleasure with the creator who embraces me. When I'm paralyzed by fear of what others think, my identity in Christ because of the resurrection comes forth and says, you're family, you're heirs of God. God, the creator calls you his son or his daughter. When I worry about making the wrong choice, he says, your choice is not what makes you my son or daughter. 
when my fear of not doing enough and having my value lowered or thought of less comes about, Jesus says, no, stop. Your value is in me. I died for you, a sinner, to make you perfectly valuable, to make you whole and loved. When the fear of death, the end of life comes over me, I say, death, you have no more power. And we hear that in the words in 1 Corinthians. This is what we get to say today, friends. We get to say to death these words. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then saying that is written once will come true. Ready for this? This Today you get to say this. When fear is coming at you, you're saying, I, I can't do it because I'm worried what people think. I can't do it because I won't do it well enough. I can't do it. I'm not going to be seen as this. Or just... I'm just worried I'm going to die. I see it coming. You say death has been swallowed up in victory. And you say to your fear, oh, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through Jesus Christ. When you're on the boat and you're going, I can't, I can't, the shark's in the lake. You say, oh, death, where is your victory? It does, Jesus has risen from the grave and that power is with us and in us.